Welcome to the Metaphysical Martini Show, where wit and wisdom come together to bridge the gap between the spirit realm and the physical world. With Ani Avedisian, the Mad Shaman, a production of CosmicReality.com. Hello, everyone. I'm Ani, Mad Shaman Avedisian. Welcome to Metaphysical Martini. Three parts spirit, one part rational mind. Add two drops of optimism, give it all a good hard shake and pour, dress it with the olives of grace and empathy, sit back, sip slowly, and contemplate the wonder of cosmic co-creation. And a hearty hello to everyone out there. Hello, hello, hello. Thanks for joining me for yet another round of cocktails on this week's Metaphysical Martini, the show that tries to sort out what's true, what's woo, and what gets flushed down the loo. In today's, do we have enough rope to hang all the deceivers? Do we have enough compassion to help the misled and the grievers? Will the death jab turn normal people into raging science fiction reavers? The official false narrative appears to be failing. Are the dark hats bailing? Why are people so dangerously naive? Silly, silly little world. As always, my darlings, we try to do this with as much grace and empathy as can be mustered on any given day. And it's a challenge, and no, it's not easy. But that is the nature of physical realms, isn't it? It seems, we humans, we have to keep rubbing our noses in the poo-poo time after time until we realize how badly it smells. And today's world, well, let's face it, it reeks a little of fear, cowardice and malice, doesn't it? Now, let me say, because it's my show, those are not emotions and actions worthy of spirit-centered free thinkers. And that's what this show is all about. Common sense, common courtesy, common decency, and eventually, by the grace of God, an end to common law and a return to spirit-centered arbitration. Ooh, if you're joining us for the first time, I extend a very warm welcome to you. My arms are open to you, but be advised. This show is not politically correct because we're grown-ups. We're not juvenile nincompoops with empty, easily manipulated, moronic, malleable minds. Martini heads are open-hearted, open-minded, free thinkers. We don't need the almighty bloody state, also known as the dark establishment, to wipe our asses. Oh, no, we can do that ourselves. Thank you very much. Martini heads, we engage in self-observation, self-evaluation. We strive to be better versions of ourselves each day, and we do this for the evolution of our individualized souls and also for the betterment of mankind. Expansion of cosmic consciousness, my darlings, it's a thing. We live here on Earth, but we reach for the stars, and occasionally we pop into one of the local bars. But moderation in all things, especially stimulants. 
I am delighted to find out from all of your emails and little postcards that you send me that we have many teetotal martini heads in our group. And that's wonderful because metaphysical mixology, it's not about the alcohol content. It's about living a life that has the perfect blend of flavors. Today is January the 5th, 2022, and this is my first show of the new year. How will things turn out for us this year, Ani? How will they turn out? I don't know. Darlings, that depends on what we bring to the table, doesn't it? We are many, they are few. And yet, they pulled off an almost perfect coup d'etat with the flu, which makes it a flu d'etat, doesn't it? Now, the dark establishment, they want a 90% death jab compliance. That's, um, <clears throat> for those of you who don't do arithmetic, that's nine out of 10 dead. That's their goal. But they're nowhere near that, thank God. But hundreds of millions of humans showed us, in no uncertain terms, the extent of erosion within the collective intellect and how very painful and how very embarrassing it is. I still get the occasional twinge in my stomach when I think on it. And, you know, since this is the first show of the year, and I believe we have quite a few new listeners, I think we should play the song You Fell for the flu. Let's hear it. The entire world has gone to hell because they, the dark establishment, convinced people they were going to drop dead from what is essentially another version of the flu. And they did this to terrify us into accepting what is essentially the mark of the beast, which they call a Francine, guess what that rhymes with, into our bodies. So we're shooting demon-class parasites into our bodies for the sole purpose of disconnecting us from our souls. That's what this Francine does. It is transhumanism level one. It's the flu. It's the flu. You fell for the flu. That reminds me a little bit of a song. Um, let me see if I can pull this off. Hang on. Do, 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 Flu, flu, you fell for the flu. Flu, flu, you fell for the flu. It's just another version of the ever-morphing flu. You fell for the flu, my darlings. The flu can be bad and people die and it's sad, but it happens every year and we don't collapse in fear. They're conning you, it's true. You fell for the flu, you fell for the flu, my darlings. You fell for the flu, my darlings. The beast is very far from starving because you fell for the flu, my darlings. If you give it all some thought, you will see that you've been bought for some donuts and some fries. You bought their filthy lies. Your minds have gone soft. We told the truth, but you scoffed. You fell for the flu, my darlings. We warned you for years, but you covered up your ears. We told you this was happened, but you laughed into your beers. Now they've shown their true colors and they're sharpening their spears because you fell for the flu, my darlings. Now there's a chance of redemption, but you have to move quick. They want to come door to door and stick you with the prick. Remember you're Americans and kick them in the dick. Don't fall for the flu, my darlings. And on the other side of this, violins in the background, 
Many people will be pissed off, and our libertarian asses will be royally kissed. And the ones who did the crime will pay by doing time, and hopefully some will be executed because they lied about the flu, my darlings. They lied about the flu, my darlings. Don't fall for the flu, my darlings. Well, if I say so myself, and I do, I am rather fond of that one. It's a bit rough and it's a bit raw, but, you know, it was on the fly. So there we go. Okay, my darlings, let's get on with the show and let's get right to quack questions, answers and comments, because we want to know what troubles the minds of you, the people. Are you surrounded by mainstream media addicts mindlessly reciting their corrupted moronic dialectic? Are you surrounded by idiots instead of patriots? Take heart. You have friends here at Martini Central and we want to hear from you. So share the details of your inner yearnings with us. Write to us at arnie at arnieavidician.com or send us a postcard to Cosmic Arnie, P.O. Box 714, Wilsonville, Oregon, 97070, USA. Don't forget to tell me if and how you wish to be identified or I shall refer to you as omit personal details. I'm going to shake up the fishbowl of perpetual perplexity and see what pops out. There's a lot of peas in that sentence. All right. Um, shaky, shaky. The first one is an email from a chap called Josh. And Josh asks, dear Mad Shaman, what do you know about the Knights Templars? Is it like in the movies? Well, Josh, I know a great deal about them. I had one of my most formative past lives as a Templar, and I could spend the next 500 hours at least sharing their history, their mission, their highs, their lows. But we don't have 500 hours. And your question, darling, is somewhat ambiguous. Which Templar movies are you referring to? I have no idea. So um, why don't you tidy up your question a bit, refine it and write to me again. And I'll be happy to engage in Templar small talk with you. Now that I'm reading this, I've I have to say they must have made a new batch of Templar movies or maybe they're showing reruns because I've had a few letters talking about Templars, Hospitallers, um, the Crusades, uh, you know, in the last couple of months or so. So, oh, you know what? Here's an idea. For those of you who attend my monthly Cosmic Conversations, details on the website, I'll make the subject for my April Cosmic Conversation an overview of the Knights Templar, the poor soldiers of Christ, holy mission or dark establishment heist. That will be on April 30th at 5 p.m. Pacific time. So thanks, Josh, for the idea. Right. And this seems like an ideal opportunity to plug my Cosmic Conversations, a series of short entry-level presentations on popular New Age subjects designed to stimulate interest, to promote awareness. They are informal and fun and on occasion absolutely bloody fascinating. Uh, January 29th this year, we're going to discuss mystical creatures from antiquity. February the 26th, I'm going to do Kabbalah and Chalar. That's Kabbalah 101 for Gentiles by Gentiles. And March 26th, there will be an introduction to A Course in Miracles because that is of tremendous value to so many people. 
And these cosmic conversations are generally held on the last Saturday of each month from 5 to 6.45 Pacific Time Zone, PM. So it's up to you. You can spend $15 on a giant pizza, or you can hang out with like-minded cosmic space adventurers, learn something new, make new friends, and you also get uh, an audio recording of the conversation at no charge. And that, my darlings, concludes my shameless commerce segment. Back to questions, answers, and comments. What else do we have in this week's fishbowl of puzzled ponderings? Let's shake it all up a bit and see what comes out. All righty, here's one from Sad Wannabe Druid of Delaware. Okay, I'll buy that. <laughs> Ani, my question is about human sacrifice. Oh, lovely. Um, is it true that druids of old engaged in human sacrifice? And if so, why? In all your paranormal comings and goings, have you ever witnessed a human sacrifice? Wow. Well, by druids, I assume we're on the same page and we mean the learned elders of the ancient Celts. So they, well, the druids, they didn't write much about themselves. Not actually sure they wrote anything down about themselves. Um, so what we know is taken mainly from Roman journals, and that's namely Julius Caesar. And the Romans did not like the Druids because the Druids would not pay taxes and they refused to engage in war. And they basically told the Romans, Odimus te, we hate you, bugger off. So we should assume that Caesar's depictions reflect his distaste. So archaeologists, historians, um, they've examined bodily remains found in Irish bogs. Strange things have been found in Irish bogs. These bodies, they seem to be the remains of well-to-do men, perhaps chieftains, nobles, royalty. And some of the bodies appear to have been, how can I put it, ritually altered prior to death, which at first glance might look like torture. And people do speculate, were these kings who were sacrificed to appease gods when times were really bad? But if we're going to go searching for written accounts in Irish mythical tradition, there is only one reference to human sacrifice. And that would be the high king of Tower, Tiganmus. He set up an idol to this thing called Crom Crook, and he ordered children to be killed as offerings to it, definitely part of Deep State. So it was ironically, it was the Druids who brought an end to that cult, and they murdered Tiganmus during one of his um, ceremonies. I have heard that story told a different way, that it was actually St. Patrick who stopped the bloody cult. But, um, and I don't mean bloody swear, I mean it was a bloody cult because he's making children bleed. Um, that's not true. It was the Druids who put about an end to that dreadful cult. I believe, with the odd exception of ritually sacrificing a noble in times of, of crisis, extreme crisis, Druids would not have taken perfectly healthy, able-bodied men out of society and killed them. 
And yes, there are many theories that physically compromised beings, you know, those who were wounded in battle or handicapped in some way. There are many theories that they were the ones who were sacrificed to the gods, but that doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't make any sense to me to sacrifice a, a crippled commoner because that would not be considered a worthy sacrifice. So we look at all the mass graves that have been excavated in Ireland, in France, and wherever else Celts went, although I don't think we have any of these mass graves in the north of Spain. Um, what we have in there is essentially a mixture of human and animal bones found in various stages of disease. And, and some were mutilated, some were actually decapitated. And if you're a young archaeologist on a dig, and the first thing you would think when you look at that is, a, ooh, lovely, a juicy cult sacrifice. But upon further examination, we find that there's no real evidence of trauma at the time of death. So disappointing, I know, but the jury is going to be out on that for some time. My personal opinion, based on, well, a certain amount of study, prayerful contemplation, um, remote viewing into the past and all that, it's all Roman propaganda. That's my story. I believe Druidic sacrifice was a very rare event and it took place in times of crisis um, and that the one being sacrificed would have been a man of high rank. I have heard tales of kings who led their people to disaster or kings who were not able to pull their people out of disaster being ritually dethroned and physical mutilation used as a part of that ritual. But again, we have no real hard evidence of that. So today I rule in favor of the Druids. Druids won, Romans nil. Oh, and you also asked me, um, sad wannabe Druid of Delaware, <coughs> Um, have I ever witnessed a human sacrifice? Darling, if I had witnessed such an event, I certainly wouldn't be talking about it on this show, would I? No. Um, but that said, we are currently witnessing hundreds of millions of people sacrificing themselves to the false gods Covidius and Pericolosum Medicino. And that, my sad druid friend, is a very painful process to watch. There are many forms of human sacrifice, but convincing people to line up for and pay for their own demise, that is pure evil, and there will be repercussions. Thank you for your question, and cheer up. Don't be a sad druid. Be a happy druid. Pour yourself a nice glass of ale, or as we call it in my home, druid's fluid. Right, let's shake up the fishbowl and see what else we have. Let's take another question. This one is from Omit Personal Details. Ani, you warn us about a dark agenda behind the virus and the jab, and you call it a psyops, which I believe means a psychology operation. Can you explain why wearing masks and restricting movement during a pandemic is a psyops? Well, I can. And darling, I will. For starters, there was no pandemic. It's the flu. It's the flu. You all fell for the flu. And if people are getting sick and dying now, that happened after the so-called inoculation against the so-called virus that has a 99.8% survival rate. Omit, you have to put on your thinking cap and you have to think. 
the pandemic is a hoax and one does not need to take precautions to protect oneself from a hoax. The air is filled with all manner of particles, all manner of contagion. Bubonic plague, it still exists on four continents. Are we crashing the economy for that? No. That's why we have immune systems, darling. In a physical world, we survive and we thrive. And we pass that immunity on to our bloodline, our progeny. That's how we were designed and that's how it works. If a particular contagion overwhelms our system and kills us, and once in a while that will happen in an organic, ever-evolving realm, that's the natural order of things. We live, we die. It is ridiculous to assume that we should seek to protect ourselves from millions of particles floating about in the air just in case one of them might kill us. There are worse things than death. Collective psychosis for one. The erosion of the collective intellect is another. Seeing mankind turn its back on its inherent divine glory and cower like insects before a well-funded propaganda campaign is yet another. Omit, they are testing our level of imbecility. The masks are about obedience to the state. One has to be completely clueless not to see this. Restriction of movement is about obedience to the state. One has to be completely disconnected from current reality not to see this. They are training us to hate our freedom. And to all who acquiesced and trembled in fear before the false mass media gods, your naivety brought darkness into our world. And there will be, indeed there are, serious, horrific repercussions for your actions. Take a deep breath. Allow the scales to fall from your eyes. Identify the beast. Then starve the beast. Step away from the black magic spells woven by the propagandists and instead listen to the marvellous intelligence of your soul. We created physical realms for the expansion of consciousness to mirror in physical form the glory of our divine nature. We did not beam onto these realms to cover our faces with diapers and sit in locked rooms, afraid to interact with one another. Please understand, our cosmic nature represents 100% totality. Our human experience, the personalities we choose, these episodes that we call incarnations, are less than one-tenth of one percent of that totality. Now, knowing that, you tell me, where we should put our attention. Mm. All right, what's next? What's next? What's next? Yes, more questions. Um, here's an email from a chap called Darnell. Darnell says, Ani, dear Ani, what is your definition of black magic and can black magic be dispelled? What is my definition of black magic? I think this question's come up a few times. Um, first of all, let's define magic. Magic, noun. 
The power of apparently influencing the course of events by using mysterious or supernatural forces. For example, suddenly, as if by magic, the doors started to open. Synonyms, sorcery, witchcraft, enchantment, wizardry, necromancy. Magic adjective, used in magic or working by magic, having or apparently having or apparently having supernatural powers. A magic wand. Supernatural, enchanted, occult. Okay, um, it gives the impression that magic is extraordinary, doesn't it? A force that can be tapped into by a mysterious cadre of highly trained elite practitioners. Is that true? No, not really. Magic is using the force. Everything comes from using the force. You can use it for good, or you can use it for evil, or you can use it for all sorts of little grey things in between. But there is only the force. Source, creator, I am. It is the vibration through which all things are created. Some benevolent, some malevolent, some in between. How well you can control slash use the force depends on how well you can control yourself. How you use it depends on the type of person you are. If white magic is used for good, for the betterment of mankind, then we can assume black magic is used for evil, for the defilement of mankind. Now, if we're talking about formal rituals, a procedure to bring about a specific outcome, yes, magicians exist on both camps. And the world is currently under a black magic spell. But if that conjures up, uh, no pun intended, visions of cloaked figures with cauldrons, smoke and incantations and ritual sacrificial knives and all of that, that's only part of the picture. Those are the people who are given a project and they start the bowl rolling. Those are the people who set the intention and send it out on streams of energy to their targets. Those are the people who bless the project, a project created by their sociopath overlords. Other people have to assemble and use the machinery of the deception. And those people are not ritual magicians. Those people work in television and radio, in marketing, branding, advertising, trolling social media, people who use their words and pictures to design campaigns to alter perception. The black magic pours into the machinery, and before you know it, the perceptual engineers and influencers, God, I hate that word, their words are woven into the spells, and the target population is held captive. Whether you use white or black magic... You still have to move your feet once the intention is set. It's like praying. A spell is a prayer. Depends on who you pray to, God or Lucifer. But when we pray or cast a spell, we still have to move our feet. Does Mark, does the dark magic really exist? Yes, it does. You bet your sweet bippy it does, because dark people exist. Can it be dispelled? Of course. They can go through all the rituals in the world, and they do. And some of these rituals come from off-world, and they are very potent, and they are very powerful. But you see, 
You can dispel anything when you see through the false illusion created by the dark magic. You simply deny its power by walking away from it because it has no power without fear and compliance. Power comes from God, from source, from I am, the force. If you're casting black magic, you are using the force, but you don't have the support of the force. They feed on our fear and our compliance. I hope you will understand that. It's very important. That's why in my house, we don't have a television. And that's why I ask people not to use the radio or the television as background noise. Words weave spells. Okay, I could talk a lot more about that. One of my favorite subjects, but not today. Let's take another question. And this one is, oh, what is this? That shouldn't be in the bowl. Okay, let's take another question. Um, and this is from Patricia, who lives in Corvallis, Oregon. Oh, just down the road from me. And Patricia asks, Dear Arnie, I have seen Hillary Clinton make a comeback recently, except the current Hillary looks nothing like her. And I know I'm not imagining this. There seems to be more than one version of her. <laughs> well, Patricia, well done for spotting that. Um, most people can't spot the obvious. You are correct. It's not Hillary. And definitely more than one meat body pretending to be her. I can't prove that any more than I can prove the moon is made of cheese. But I believe the original Hillary, the one who went to the dark side, has been disposed of, along with a few other choice Luciferian morsels. It will all come out eventually. And on that day, on that day, I have a very special bottle of champagne I'm going to open and I'm not going to share it with anyone except my partner. And it's going to be fabulous. OK, is that the end of questions, answers and comments for today? I think it is. Oh, we have just one more. Hang on. We have one more little tiny postcard here that came up and it says, Dear Ani, I keep having this repetitive dream. And it's all about aeroplanes. Well, that's interesting. I am at the airport and I'm waiting for my aeroplane. My aeroplane does not come. I wait, I wait, and the aeroplane does not come. Well, that's very unfortunate because you're not going anywhere, are you? Um, any type of transportation dream generally has to do with reaching your goals. So if you're trying to get somewhere and your airplane has not arrived, it's possible that the other people that are going to help you with your goal are not ready to do so. Or you're not ready to make that trip. So I'd suggest evaluating where you are in your life right now and uh, what your goals are and what's frustrating you and what's in your face and apply that to your airplane dream. And um, let me know how it goes. I'm, I'm interested. All right. Fantastic. I think that's it for questions, answers and comments. Let's do something we haven't done in a while. Let's do the cryptic mystic where we have our way with someone dead who liked to pray. And today's holy roller is Ibn Arabi, who lived 1156 to 1240. And who is this chap? And why do we care? Well, I'll tell you. Ibn Arabi was from Murcia, modern day Spain. 
And he lived in a time, I would say, of remarkable cultural and spiritual flowering, enlightenment um, in the Islamic world, which at that time was the East and the West. Um, where he was born there in Mercia, there was a blending of Christian and Jewish and Islamic. It was just beautiful, intellectual, uh, high seat of learning, wonderful arts, and uh, a fair amount of boho, we would say, a little bit of bohemian thinking as well. Um, Andalusia at that time, Al-Andalus, as they called it, uh, it was described as the ornament of the world. And it had been under Islamic rule since the 8th century. Very cosmopolitan, very diverse culture, and very much known for its artistic achievements. So this chap, Ibn Arabi, is known as the most profound and remarkable figure in the history of world spirituality, and especially within the Islamic world. They call him the great master, the greatest master, al-Shaykh al-Akbar. Um, there's something so special about this chap. He wasn't just a regular soul. Let's call him a Sufi mystic because that's what he was. His paternal ancestry was South, South Arabian. His father was a military man and his mother was uh, a North African Berber. And his family moved from Mercia to Seville. Ibn Arabi grew up in the court there, attended military school. You know, his father wasn't a foot soldier. They were, you know, relatively well to do. And by all accounts, he was a normal child. He liked to play. He liked to have a bit of fun um, and nothing particularly remarkable about him until his late teens. Something changed. He had his first vision of God. And that was profound as it would be. But after that, he started to have several visions about Jesus and Arabi called um, he called Jesus his first guide to the path of God. So by his late teens, he was definitely set on this spiritual path that called to him. And he was determined to understand the true nature of things. I don't know how else to put it. He was 36 years old the first time he left Andalusia. Um, he arrived in Tunis, 1193, returned a year later. His father died shortly after his return. Shortly after that, his mother passed away. The year 1200, he finds himself in Gibraltar, where he receives more visions and especially a vision to travel towards the east. So he travels towards northwest Africa. He's in Mecca by 2000, by 1202, 1202. He's there for the Hajj. And then he lived, he lived in Mecca for three years. And that's where he began writing the Meccan illuminations, Al-Futahat al-Makir, um, something he's very well known for. So after his time in Mecca, he continues to travel. He was a big traveler. He traveled through Syria, Palestine, Iraq, and Anatolia. They're on the eastern parts of Turkey. Um, the year 1204, he meets, um, he meets uh, Sheikh Ibn Yusuf, a native of Malatya in Turkey. And he was a man of great standing at the Seljuk court. And his reputation grows. He travels north. He travels towards the east. He goes to Medina. He goes to Baghdad. He, um, he travels to Mosul. Um, and he writes and he presents his works and he impresses people 
with his presentation. By 1206, he's visited Jerusalem, Mecca, Egypt, uh, passes through Syria, Damascus. 1207, he returns to Mecca and he continues to study and write, spending time with a, a very good friend of his, um, Abu Suja Burastam and, and his family. And then the next four or five years, he spent in that area, kept traveling around the area, holding reading sessions of his work, presenting his work, inspiring people wherever he went. He was 75 years old when he died uh, in November 1240. His writings are, to me, very special. I'm going to try and articulate why I think so. They're founded on the principle of a harmonious vision of reality as one. In other words, the unity of all. He never said you must follow one path or you must follow one way. In fact, he said the complete opposite. He wanted everyone to discuss the differences in their philosophies, the differences in their religions, in their way of thinking. And he thought one should never destroy these fundamental truths that people were thought, but they could be discussed and refined and defined. And that would help with the alignment of one the one, the divine. Um, I would say, why do we know so much about him? Because usually we don't, but he wrote a lot about himself. He documented um, his travels. We know that there's more than 100 authentic works, but there's hundreds more that people, I think, are still disputing. And the beauty of it is he didn't just sit there and write metaphysical treatise. He described his travels. And it's very, very interesting. And scholars divide his lifetime into three periods, which was his time at the in the Maghrib, which would be Andalusia and North Africa, his time in the Hijaz, which would be Mecca and Medina, and his time in the Mashrik, which would be Anatolia and Syria. He is by far the most influential Sufi, Muslim, Sunni ever in the history of Islam. When he wrote, he didn't just put words on paper. He asked the divine to imbue his words with a special quality so that anyone who read them would experience the majesty of divine connection. The quality of his writing is matched only by the quantity of his writings. Um, he wanted people to be directly inspired by the words that were given to him to write. And people are moved by his writing. I was moved as a young student um, as we studied him in our comparative religion classes. Um, brilliant man. His best known works would be The Ringstones of Wisdom, Fusus al-Hikam. Um, that's considered to be... I think the essence of his spiritual teachings is 27 chapters, each one dedicated to the spiritual meaning and wisdom of a particular prophet. Um, followers of Ibn Arabi hold this book in particular esteem. Many, many, many commentaries have been written on it. The Al-Fudahat Al-Makiya, the Meccan openings, that is a massive compendium of metaphysics uh, cosmology, spiritual anthropology, psychology, jurisprudence, um, the meanings of the Islamic rituals, all the different uh, tra uh, travels that one has on the journey to God, 
the nature of cosmic hierarchy. I mean, it's just a massive book. And it's he wrote it over, I think, a 22 year period as he traveled all over the Near East. Um, and he revised it as he went along and probably tidied it all up at the time that he lived in Damascus. Um, another very well-known one is the um, it's the Interpreter of Yearnings, and it's a short collection of love poetry. Isn't that lovely? Um, and it's it's about spiritual love, not profane love. It was, I think, the first of his works to be translated into English. So if you want to look for him, I would probably start there. One of my particular favorites, and I don't know if you can find a full translation of this, um, it's the Holy Spirit in the counseling of the soul. Um, I think it's been translated as the Sufis of Andalusia. And there's a lot of little anecdotes in there and quite a few comments about the interesting people he met on his travels. Hmm. Now, why did I remember him more than anything else? Well, there has been a renewed interest in his work lately, and I discovered this because of an epic Turkish television series called Ertuğrul Resurrection, and it's on Netflix. Um, people turn me on to this. I don't normally go looking for Turkish Seljuk soap operas on Netflix, but it's set in Arabic's time period, which is the pre-Ottoman Empire, when the Turkish Turkish tribes were still at war with each other, and also the Byzantines were attacking everybody on one side and the Mongols were on the other side and the Armenians were somewhere in the middle going, what the hell? Um, and the character of Ibn Arabi makes several appearances on this show. And I have to say, even though the, this show is a bit hokey for me, although the sword fighting is amazing, um, I am glad of the show because a new generation of young people have been exposed to Arabi's work. This man had a profound effect on Islam. And I just have to say again, his teaching goes way beyond one singular faith base. He warned us of the dangers of adhering blindly to one faith base. Ibn Arabi, he was ahead of his time. He was ahead of our time. And well, Ibn, may peace be upon your name and my darlings, may peace be upon ours. So go check him out. I know it's very difficult with translations. Um, you don't quite get the gist of it, especially with beautiful metaphysical musings. But you, you won't be disappointed. You won't be disappointed at all. All right, what shall we do now? Let's do something else we haven't done for a while. Let's do The Wizard's Gizzard, where we discuss spiritual rituals that you can make habitual. So since it's the first show of 2022... Let's review some common sense ideas for keeping us on track and keeping us sane in a world gone mad with fear-fueled fever. Whew, try saying that ten times. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, I've missed my kazoo. Let's get back to my tips for avoiding a potential apocalypse. <laughs> Number one, never say I am but one person, because you are not. Never use your humanity as an excuse for limitation. Tip number two. Drama is for the theatre. Unless you have an equity card, 
stay away from the drama. Working quietly and diligently in the background often yields greater results than attention grabbing. Tip number three. If you are triggered, you have emotions to process. So learn to process your emotions. Only once the emotion has been processed can it be removed from the event. And when the emotion is removed from the event, we can see clearly, we can see events for what they are. Objectivity, people. It's a thing. Don't get overly emotional. Learn what emotions are, how they work, and how to resolve them. Tip number four. When you find yourself in uncomfortable situations, learn to manage yourself. Remind yourself that the discomfort is due to a disruption in the energy anatomy and learning to be still, to breathe deeply, will settle the energy anatomy and put you in a place of objectivity. Tip number five. Words weave spells good and bad. Choose your words carefully. At times, we have to be more direct than we would like, because there are times when people are just so incredibly stupid that the light needs to step in to influence events. We can be direct, but we must still act with integrity and from a place of respect. Tip number six, define your core moral values and never compromise them. Tip number seven, don't make promises you cannot keep. As Ruiz would say, be impeccable with your word. Be honorable. How we treat others really is a good reflection of how we feel about ourselves. People argue with this, you know, they argue with me about this, but in the end, you know it's true. How can we expect others to trust us if we can't be honest with ourselves? Tip number eight. Diminish your capacity for distraction. The world today has fallen prey to a great evil, and it is due to fractured, distracted minds dependent on centralized distribution of everything from food to information. Stand up straight. Look people in the eye. Don't procrastinate. Deal with issues as they come up. And that way, having dealt with things as they come up, you will never have to carry baggage. A little thing I learned a long time ago, ABC. When distraction comes up, awareness, breath, choice. Awareness, breath, choice. We are in charge of refocusing our attention. Don't let automatic derailment become a habit. It's not only a habit in the world today, it's a disease. Don't forget also a habit of procrastination well, that's resistance, and that is a subtle sign of depression. 
Here's another one. I've lost count, so I'm just going to go with it. Um, <laughs> uh, people ask me from time to time if I can teach them to teleport. Fascinating stuff. Um, I have to tell you that the process of teleportation is not difficult to learn. It's actually very easy. But the trick to it is this. You have to travel light, very light, both physically and emotionally. That's why people like me go on and on and on about keeping your energy anatomy clear and being focused. Don't get distracted. Another tip. Stress kills a lot of people, so I am told, or apparently it did before COVID took over everything. Stress is the dysfunctional relationship with time, and it is completely avoidable. A balanced mind, an ability to prioritize, a trigger-free energy anatomy, and a mind working in alignment with divine mind does not experience stress. It does not have problems. It merely deals with projects. Another tip. Examine your schedule. Make adjustments as needed. Too many extracurricular activities are also distractions. Fear. Well, as we discussed earlier, it is a black magic spell woven over millennia. But it is not part of our original cosmic coding. It is designed to separate us from our original divine coding. So please ponder that the next time you feel fearful. And ponder it before the secondary emotions get kicked in. You can have a heightened state of awareness. That is part of our original coding. A heightened state of awareness that you can see what's going on around you and make decisions pertinent to your survival, to your safety. But that's not fear. A heightened state of awareness tells you what to do. You will figure out what to do. But if you're fearful, you're frozen, and frozen people can't move. Another tip, do not use the radio or television just for background noise. Words weave spells. I will never get tired of saying that. Moving on with more tips. Become aware of your repeating patterns. Catch yourself when you say, ooh, I'm such an idiot. Ooh, I'm such a twit. Ooh, I'll never be able to get the grasp of technology, blah, blah, blah. Don't give your subconscious minds the opportunity to believe those thoughts. Because if you keep saying them, and if you catch yourself and make a note of how many times a day we say things like that, you will be amazed. But if you keep saying them, the subconscious mind will create pathways for you to actually turn into a bona fide twit. And we don't want that. We don't want twits on this planet. Set time aside each day to be one with spirit. Find a protocol that works for you and do it every day. Something else that's very important uh, today, since food is not really food anymore, unless you grow your own. Mark out seven days and monitor your food and beverage consumption, not necessarily the quantity, but how you feel after you consume those food groups. I have so many children coming through my office who are suffering from depression 
what the heck a small child who's living in a functional home has depression for, God knows. But usually wheat, mac and cheese especially, um, seems to be a problem. Once we eliminate the heavy overload of gluten and the ridiculous amount of sugar that's in everything, kids are feeling better. Hydration. Be diligent about adequate hydration. Water conducts electricity and the divine mind comes to you as Wi-Fi. And Master Yoda would say, brain dry, brain will fry. Brain wet, divine inspiration you will get. Please be diligent about water. It's very important. We are 70% water, aren't we? Or as someone said, we're basically cucumbers with anxiety. So wash that anxiety away. Um, penultimate tip, keep your New Year resolution list short. Don't put 20 things on it. You know you're not going to do it. You know it. It happens every year. Put on three things and stick to them. And finally, mindfulness, the buzzword. You know, we buzz these words all over the place. They lose their meaning. Mindfulness is not a belief system. It's not a religion. It's not a philosophy. It's not. A, it's not. It's not. It's not. It's just simply an approach to living, one that helps us live fully in the present moment without dragging the past along. And once it becomes a habit, each moment is a treasure because we experience it fully and in a functional manner. And when we're done with it, we're done with it and we move on to the next moment. Don't be a destination addict. And don't be overly attached to any one particular outcome, because God's viewpoint is greater than ours. And we must occasionally give the divine a chance to help us out. So those are my top 10 tips. So there's more than that, but obviously I can't count. If you want um, a copy of that, just send me an email, arnie at arnieabedician.com, and I will shoot it off to you because that's the title girl I am. All right. Oh, my gosh, how the time is flying. Do we have time for tarot today? Um, yes and no. Let's do something a little bit different. Let's pick a card for America. Yes, one card we're going to pick for America. Give me a moment here to shuffle my cards, shuffling my cards to see what the present state of America is and what the pool of potential for America 2022 is. And I picked the hangman. Woo, the hangman, Odin hanging from Idrisil, suspended upside down. Well, I think it's pretty obvious since we're reading for America what this means. This is about piercing the barriers of our consciousness. It's about hanging around and going through so much pain until we realize that we need a new perspective. It's about allowing our physical bodies to experience so much agony that we just can't take it anymore and the pain goes away and the illusion that caused the pain in the first place has completely gone. And we see things in a different light. Very much different. Hmm. Yep. Well, that's what's happening to our nation right now. 
people are waking up. Um, a lot of the stuff that we were, you know, we as conspiracy theorists, ha, 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 don't you hate that term? Um, everything we predicted has come true, word for word, step by step, almost as if we had read this somewhere. When we allow ourselves the courage to align with spirit and see truly what we've created and what's going on around us, initially there's a great deal of pain, but then the pain goes away and we get off the tree. We don't hang on the tree anymore. We sit down, we take a rest and we go, wow, we finally figured it out. And I'm going to live in a brave new world, a different new world. Um, and I'm going to be useful in this world because now my perception has shattered. You've gone through so much pain. There's no more pain to be had. That's what it means to be on the precipice of the new golden age. And that's where we are now. It's very, very exciting, my darlings. Um, I'm excited. Surely you feel the buzz. You feel it in the earth. You feel it in the air, the sparkles, the electricity, the awakening, people kicking back against their governments, kicking back against the police, kicking back against the militia. People have had it. And it's common sense that's prevailing. Very, very excited. Wow, I can't believe it's almost been an hour, my darlings. I think that's almost it for today. Let me finish my drink, which I've been savoring because I didn't think it would be this good, to be honest. Um, Hang on. Mm, that is nice. Now I finish my drink. And that always means the end of the show. And I hope, I very much hope you enjoyed listening in as much as I enjoyed recording it because I had a blast. I always do. It's my pleasure to connect with you all every other Wednesday. All free thinkers, all of you who think outside the box, are welcome here at Martini Central. Today's real-life cocktail was pretty darn tasty, let me tell you, and it's called a Valencia Martini. Here's how you make it. Six parts gin, and today I use drum shambo gunpowder Irish gin, and let me tell you, that is a lovely drop of mother's ruin right there. Two parts of Amontillado sherry, and I used every British expat's go-to sherry, Harvey's Bristol Cream, and you're going to need an olive. So you get your six parts of gin, your two parts of the sherry, and you combine the ingredients into a mixing glass with cracked ice and you stir it. You do not shake. You stir it and then you pour it into a chilled cocktail glass and you sip and it's delicious. Go out and make yourself one right now. But remember, folks, cocktails are great if they are an occasional treat. If you use top quality ingredients and take the art of mixology seriously, one drink is all you need. And hey, if you're a Coast to Coast radio listener, Check out my interview with Cheryl Jones, which was recorded December 30th of last year. I'm Ani Merit Sharman Avedisian. This was Metaphysical Martini, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio, to whom we are most grateful. Until we meet again, I encourage you to engage in mass non-compliance and to let the spirit inhabit the human. <laughs> you
have been listening to The Metaphysical Martini with Ani Alpatisian, The Mad Shaman, a production of CosmicReality.com. Thank you.